You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. Church, Advent is a Christian celebration of Jesus' first coming and this expectation of his second coming, the return of Jesus. And during Advent, we grow in our understanding of these two comings of Christ by strengthening our faith with these gospel themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And we name this series Singing with the Saints to help us realize that God's people have always been singing. It's not a new thing. It's not an American church thing. God's people have been singing and worship to him from the beginning of time. From the beginnings of human history, we have been singing and our worship forms our heart. And last Sunday, we dove all into having a heart of hope and learning to long for Christ and long for his kingdom. But today we look at Psalm 62 and we're gonna discover both what is peace and what's it mean to have peace in our worship with God. And really, what is peace? It's thrown around all the time. It's a pretty abstract concept. It's difficult to define and if we don't understand its reality, it's gonna be real confusing in application, amen? All right, we got to jump it up a notch. I know holiday shopping and all the things are tiring. Let's get a hearty amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Once I had a theoretical, abstract, good idea. I was in New York City. I was sharing the gospel on the college campus of uh, Columbia University with our little team of crew students. We'd spread out, hit all these campuses all over the city, asking surveys, telling people about Jesus, having a blast. And we got to the point where we had to head back to like a little office by the United Nations headquarters. And everyone hopped on the subway because they had a good realistic idea that in 15 to 20 minutes of a subway ride, they would pop out near the office and attend the meeting. I saw the little map on the subway station. I noticed Columbia University, just across Central Park is the United Nations headquarters why wouldn't I take what I suppose to be a 20-minute stroll through America's most famous park? So the brave leader, the leader did not go with the flock. They got on the subway happily, just and prepared for his peaceful stroll through Central Park. The problem was that map was not to scale. It was an abstract map showing where subway lines go. So my actual walk was more like this. And the hour 34 would be generous through a hilly, busy New York City where it also happened to be kind of hot and rainy that day. So I showed up about two hours later to a meeting that is finishing, covered in sweat and rain, pretty embarrassed that I'm both in charge and a fool, which you got to grow there to be a leader. You got to embrace the foolishness of who you are. But it shows... An abstract idea when divorce from reality usually has negative consequences. When we pursue peace in an abstract way, we often waste a lot of time, a lot of money, embarrass ourselves, and might end up frustrated in the rain where we didn't intend. And we all want peace. The world chases it in nicer housing, vacations, substance abuse, eating, any number of philosophies and religions and smudge sticks and candles and obsessing on entertainment or sports or avoiding conflict and conversations at all costs. 
People want peace so bad and they realize they need it that they will spend a lifetime or a fortune or maybe both trying to find it. But only biblical peace can bring what our soul really craves, what our soul really needs. And here's a good definition of biblical peace. Peace isn't the absence of work or conflict. Instead, peace is the presence and purpose of God in your life through the pardon of sin. Peace isn't the absence of work or conflict. Instead, peace is the presence and purpose of God in your life through the pardon of sin. Humankind was at peace with God in the Garden of Eden. And since sin entered the Garden of Eden, life has been a mess. This shalom, this togetherness of peace and purpose with God ended with sin. And it's only through Christ's death for sins and rising again that we can have peace with God once again. And Colossians 1 tells us it works like this. Look at this amazing passage. Colossians 1, verse 20. It says, and through Jesus, God reconciled or brought things back together, everything to himself. Who made peace? God made peace. We were once not at peace. God made peace with everything in heaven on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. If you're wondering what the gospel is and what it does, this is a great way to start. This includes you. Not someone in abstract, but you in a chair, you with ears, you with eyes. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were God's enemies. Your sin separated from God by your evil thoughts and actions. That's what sin is. Yet now God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. It's not abstract at all. Jesus had blood and veins and skin and hair and eyeballs and a soul. It is through his physical body. It's not abstract. It's not even transactional. It's personal, relational, bodily that this peace was won for us in his physical body. As a result, God has brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. We still sin, and when we sin, we run to Jesus, but we do stand before our God, holy and blameless, not because we got it right, but because Jesus did. And if you stand before God, you're no longer at war with God. You have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You have a peace in Christ that the biggest problem in your life, your sin before God, has been solved. And without Christ, that problem remains. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Jesus' sacrifice is our pardon for sin. He restores presence and purpose of God in our lives, and that's the gospel, church. And if you are at peace with God because of Jesus, then all other conflicts in your life are still real, but they're not ultimate. They don't get to own you anymore, no matter how intense they are. The peace of Christ is the main thing. And when you have the main thing, you can deal with all the other side circuses in life that we all have. Amen? Amen. And true peace comes through Christ alone. 
And it's promised to all of Jesus's followers. Look how Jesus promises it in John 14. This isn't just for the super spiritual. This is an everybody promise straight from your Savior's lips. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Church, Jesus not only promises peace, but he purchased peace on your behalf. Jesus says it with with his lips and pays for it with his very life. To bring us back to shalom, the, the Hebrew word for peace, of life with God in the garden again, lived out now. And this peace does not come from the world, but only from God, and it cannot be stolen by the brokenness of this life. Yet we find a world broken by sin now, which in summary means everybody has problems. Look at verse three as we join our psalmist. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. That's an intense, problematic situation. As bad as it is at the accounting firm, hopefully they're not trying to kill you. To them, I'm just a broken down wall, a tottering fence. Tottering fence ain't keeping anything in or out. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their heart. The psalmist is describing something we've all felt when people are hating, when people are bringing you down, when people see you as a tottering fence, easy prey, a weakling. Everybody's been picked on at school. Everyone's been picked on at work. Everyone's been picked on in their family. People telling lies, half-truths, speaking evil behind your back, even as they praise to your face. We have a word for this in our culture. It's called drama. And it happens to everybody. And nobody likes it or hopefully doesn't like it. Run from the drama. Do not enjoy the drama. Don't enjoy the friend who's not much of a friend. Most of our big problems are people problems. Our biggest problems are usually people problems. A money problem isn't good, but you can spend less, pay down debt, earn and save, and slowly clear your way to better finances. Health problems aren't good, but We can visit a doctor. We can make lifestyle changes. And over time, many times things can change. But people problems, woof. It ain't so clear how to fix it sometimes. What's the biggest disruptor of peace in your life right now? What gives you anxiety at night? What stresses you out having to show up or make a phone call or send the message? What prompts worry? and the worry cycle to start to spin like the washing machine. As much as people chat about politics or the economy or things like that stressing them out, usually deep down our problems are people problems, the ongoing or undealt with strife with another, the conversations we wish we did have or the ones we refuse to have. So where do we go from peace if we all got problems? Verse one tells us this, the psalmist says, retreat to God. For God alone, where do I go? For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Let all that I am wait quietly before God. 
for my hope is in him. We can come and wait before God with our problems. Our soul can be at rest on our very worst day. We can refuse to complain to the world, but rather be quiet in the safety of our God. Look what we're told four times in this psalm. He, meaning God, God alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, my rock where no enemy can reach me. Finally, for God is our refuge. God is a refuge refuge for you. Think how vital a refuge is. Like a rock in a desert, it's your only shelter. Like a fortress in a time of war, it's your only hope. When problems come, we are the people who retreat to God, our refuge. In church, that's the Christmas story. And it's in even reverse. Not that we ran to God, but that God ran to us. That God sent his son to die to us. To run towards us, to be a refuge to us, to bring us to him. That Jesus came and found us to be our salvation from our sin and close to us in our suffering. And this has always been the plan of God. Isaiah 9 is an Advent prophecy about Jesus, our peace. It says this, hundreds of years before Christ is born, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. All things will hang on this baby. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is this rock. Jesus is this refuge. Jesus is the only salvation under heaven. And the application is clear in the New Testament for us, and it's clear to his people that peace is our offense. Romans 15 says this, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We trust God's peace to win out over all of Satan's schemes in life. That's a great verse to pray in Romans 15. In 2 Thessalonians 3, we learn peace is also our defense. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That there are no circumstances where you cannot enjoy the peace of God is the number one thing in your life. We trust God's peace is greater than whatever evil will come our way. And God's peace models the way for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. Why? The God of love and peace will be with you. Church, peace is the way forward in your life. If you're wondering what to do, peace is your way forward. Once we were not peaceful, but now we'll actually be blessed by living as ones at peace. Look what it says. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's from your Savior's lips. 
that we are the peacemaking people. And there's blessings to pursue that. We are to live from a posture of peace, not rage, not stress, not confusion, but peace. When you see a Christian always raging at the news, raging against the church, raging against other people, that's not a mark of maturity. That's a mark of a troubled soul or maybe a non-Christian altogether because the peace of God has a transforming effect on the soul. Hear the truth, church. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. God has promised and purchased a peace that I don't have to understand everything anymore. It surpasses my understanding. I don't have to scheme my way into my best life. I don't have to know all the news. I don't have perfect positions on everything. I don't have to be perfectly competent for everything in my life. Instead, I can trust a peace that is simply bigger than me and surpasses all my understanding. I can be at peace that guards my heart and guards my mind from sin, that that can be true in my life. And Colossians 3 agrees It says, let the peace of Christ do what? Rule in your hearts. What a a word that the king is not abstract, but the king is right here. That the king can rule your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. The peace of God means we are a thankful people, but we're also a peaceful people that can still be upset, that can still cry, that can still disagree strongly against evil. But this world cannot have our heart anymore. We don't get pushed around all the time. But we let a different king rule our heart. And that's how peace starts to transform us. Something that doesn't come from inside us, but comes external to us and takes up residence in us. And this sounds amazing. So why don't we always live like this? I think we're tempted, like every generation, to look elsewhere. So where should we not go for peace? Well, the psalmist has some words for us. Verses nine and 10, it says, common people are as worthless as a puff of wind and the powerful are not what they appear to be. This is the New Living Translation. If you weigh them on scales together, they're lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. If your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Boy, I love the clarity of this translation. Often we seek peace in people and money. And scripture tells us whether we got friends in high places or friends in low places, they're both lighter than a breath. And we as people love feeling connected, love feeling like we got someone in high regard, someone big somewhere, that no matter what goes wrong, we can always call Gigi Susie or Uncle Harlow and make things work out. That's a common thing. But the scripture is saying, don't trust in people, don't trust in money, and don't trade your soul and sin to get it. If you do have the blessing of wealth, it's a great tool. But boy, it's a terrible master. Money at the center of life takes our eyes off eternity and tends to make us treat others as commodities. 
Wealth can have a eroding effect on our soul when it becomes the center of our life. Some of your worst moments probably boil down to choices surrounding money and trying to win important people's favor. That's probably the darkest turns. But we know that lasting peace doesn't live in a paycheck. That lasting peace doesn't live in fellow broken human beings who are honestly falling apart too. Lasting peace comes from a person, the Prince of Peace, who we can trust. So how do we receive and respond to a Prince of Peace? We trust Jesus as our refuge, and we learn to pour out our heart. Look at verse 8. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Church, you have an invitation from God to pour out your heart. When you're not feeling at peace, pour it out. When you are feeling at peace, pour it out. If you don't have any peace, pour it out and come to Jesus and realize, wait a minute, I've missed Christianity. If we walk around never at peace, that's a sign that you don't know the Lord. And you can fix that today and start a new life with him. That the thing that your friend has that you wish you had It's the peace of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. It's the joy of Jesus. Whatever you want and label it, it's not because they're great or have a great family or have a cool job or found the right spouse or whatever or have the cool house. It's because they have Jesus. And you can pour out your heart to God. He's not afraid of your heart at all. He wants it all. Whether you're alone like this psalm is talking about or like many psalms talk about pouring out your heart in front of the whole congregation, pouring it out in praise and singing to God. We are the people who are called to praise and worship and give our hearts away. And Sunday worship gives us the words to let your heart pour out. You don't have to be a poet you just have to pour out. Now, some of y'all are poets. Looking at you, Reed. <laughs> and they're gifts to the church that they can write music or sing music like Charlie or Shayla. But let them, let them lead you somewhere. You don't have to be infinitely creative. But you do have to look your creator in the eyes and pour it out to experience the peace of true worship and express all that you are. Pouring out your heart to God is the sanest, most rational, most trustworthy thing you could possibly do. Why? Because Jesus is simply bigger than money and people. And look what it says, verse 11. God has spoken plainly and I have heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you can repay all people according to what they've done. Unlimited power and unfailing love belong to Jesus. That's a God you can trust. Anything else you can trust is not an unlimited in power and love. In fact, they're usually pretty broken in both. That's a God who pouring out your needs and asking for his peace makes sense. Your salvation isn't about getting everything right. It's about Jesus's might and love saving you. Jesus, because of his unfailing love, laid down his might and died. And in the mightiness of the spirit of God, it rose him from the dead. And now he offers salvation who all who say, I need peace. He generously gives it as the prince. Peace is the presence and purpose of God in your life through the pardon of sin. 
Remember Ephesians 2.14, which makes it plain that Jesus himself is our peace. Buddha said peace comes from within. Jesus says sin comes from within, and boy, you need me. I'm not trusting myself to get back on the road. I'm trusting Jesus to take the wheel and take me home. Our peace isn't a mindset. Our peace isn't a personality. Our peace isn't a special practice. Jesus' salvation is our peace and is greater than whatever the world can throw at us. Amen? Our gospel peace is true hope in a stressed out and restless world. There was a survey done this year, 2020, 2022, I mean. Uh, Yeah, it's been a long couple. But it's important it was done this year, not at the height of the pandemic, but this year. It's a couple months old by the American Psychological Association, a huge organization that in a massive survey found that one in four U.S. adults are so stressed they cannot function on a daily basis. The actual question in the questionnaire, I said, that's an unbelievable statistic. Let me look at this. I looked at the questionnaire and said, are you so stressed you cannot function in daily life? as point blank as it could be. And over one fourth of Americans just put their hand up and said, yes. If you isolate that stat just a little bit, 18 to 44, it's almost 45% of all adult respondents, 18 to 44, say I'm so stressed, I can barely function or cannot function at work and at home. Think about that. Almost half of everyone you meet doesn't have any peace. There are stressful moments in life, but that level of stress should not be the norm. Half of everyone you meet at work, half of your neighbors, and if they don't seem that stressed, they're just faking it till they make it, apparently. Do you see the urgent need for you to share the gospel? That whether they think that's the solution or not doesn't matter. That if you have a peace that makes you functional in daily life, and we know half of all people are unfunctional in daily life, then we have a gospel to share, a gospel that people desperately need. So church, share the peace you have. Share that your schedule is busy, but you're not melting down because you have a peace that's not based in your circumstances, but the risen Christ. There is an urgency to this peace for all people. And in Christ, peace, not stress, can be your way of life both in the good and in the bad. There once was a man named Horatio Safford. He was a successful, wealthy lawyer in a booming Chicago of the 1800s. So wealthy, he heavily invested in real estate and got to do all sorts of cool things. And some of the cool things were this. At 33, he met his wife, Anna Larson an immigrant from from Norway, and they fell right in love. They had four daughters in quick succession. Their family is blossoming. And Horatio, a committed Christian with his wife, grabbed his friends and they planted a church together. It's Fullerton Avenue Presbyterian. The building still stands. The congregations have merged. The name has changed, but it's like 150 years still going. And Horatio, as a committed Christian, was also personal friends with Dwight L. Moody even best friends with the most famous pastor of the age. He's a famous evangelist. The Moody Institute is named after him. However, in the great Chicago fire of 1871, he would lose nearly all of his wealth. 
All of northern Chicago would burn, including most of his holdings as a successful lawyer in the city. Two years later, he would plan a vacation for his family of six and to go to England to visit Moody on a preaching tour through the countryside. At the harbor, he would receive news that some of the real estate deals had not gone through and he needed to return to Chicago for signatures and negotiation. So he made the tough decision to let his family go on to England as he returned to Chicago. On the night of November 22nd in 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship called the Ville du Havre, the ship was struck by another ship. 226 people would die in the cold waters that eve with only 28 survivors. All of his children would perish. Annie, 12, Maggie, 7, Bessie, 4, and their 18-month-old baby, Tatiana, would be ripped from Anna's hands in the chaos. And when Anna got to England, she actually sent this telegram, Western Union maintains it. It's hard to read, but it says, saved alone, what shall I do? That was her message for Horatio. The rest is describing other people, Chicagoans who had perished. Saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio would sail to be with Anna in her mourning. And Horatio would eventually pen one of the most beloved psalms in the history of the church, the English-speaking church, on peace and loss. It goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God's peace is reason to pour out your heart, to trust him enough to let it go on your best day and your worst day and to sing. If you do not have the peace of Christ, I urge you to come and believe and take Christ as the real thing he is. You don't have to live stressed out till you can't function. That's a sign you do not know the Lord. And I'm telling you, this is hope today that you can, and it can be real. If you follow Christ, embrace the gift of his peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace can rule your heart no matter what is going on right now. Our peace isn't about solving, God's peace isn't about solving your circumstances, but rather settling your heart on Jesus to worship. 